Hi, my name is Ruben Porter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's great to have you on our podcast today. We hope this message encourages you, builds you up in your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Well, good morning, Crossroads. It's great to be here. And as mentioned, my name's Craig, and today we are carrying on in a series which Pastor Ruben started last week called What's Your Next Step? What's your next step on the journey of faith? And today we are looking at what is our very first step. What's the first step of faith? And of course, life is, as the cliche says, is a journey and there's plenty of steps along the way. And for this year, for my wife and myself, Joe, you know, this year is a bit of a milestone year. This is our 30th wedding anniversary. So plenty of steps. So, so yeah, that's pretty good. And, uh, and a sort of, uh, as I've sort of thought about that, along the, the journey of marriage, uh, we've collected a couple of kids. That's been pretty cool. And they've sort of grown up. And our eldest actually has a son. He's about 21 months old now. And sort of, like, he's sort of like the, uh, the apple of Joe and I's eye at the moment. Like, we're just really fascinated by the little fella. And to be fair, like, you know, in hindsight, <laughs> You could just skip the kids and go straight to grandkids, couldn't you, really? But uh, <laughs> no, no, of course not. But anyway, anyway, sort of like, so like, he's, he's pretty cool. And, you know, like, you know, we like to, I suppose the, the job description of the grandparents, Nanma and Papa, is, you know, sort of, we sort of, you know, sort of spoil them a bit. Not too much, but, you know, just a little bit. And uh, around Christmas time, uh, he was doing like what a lot of toddlers do. He was expressing himself. Uh, <laughs> it's just a tantrum, actually. He was going, <laughs> he was going to town, eh? And uh, and Nanma, Nanma bought him a toy, a toy called. Hopefully, this will work. I'm really hoping it does. Bluey. Now, <laughs> to be fair, we didn't actually even know who Bluey was <laughs> as grandparents. But Bluey is a very popular cartoon figure. Like, he's massive around the world. And we gave uh, Xander uh, this oversized Bluey. And, and, you know, like, Bluey and Xander sit together on Xander's little couch. And, well, <laughs> Bluey's watching himself on TV, I suppose you could say. And so, you know, he doesn't get a lot of TV, but if he gets TV, Xander, he's allowed to watch a little bit of Bluey. And you'd sort of think that we must be the hippest, coolest grandparents of all time to be able to nail the winner-winner chicken dinner of all presents. Like, seriously, this, this is the top present ever. Like, seriously. I mean, he was not super expensive, but he was sort of relatively pricey, to be fair. But actually, what's interesting is Bluey is not Xander's number one toy. Xander's heart has actually been stolen by this, which we thought was a lemur, so he was named Liam, but he's possibly a goat <laughs> or a gazelle, but we're not actually sure, but that doesn't matter. This, this toy was purchased for the princely sum of $1 from the Salvation Army op shop. But if you've ever bought a, a kid a toy, you know that they have no, value, no concept of money or the value of something. And Liam, the lemur, come goat, come gazelle, whatever, goes everywhere with Xander, to nap time, round the house, wherever. But poor old Bluey, 
the relatively expensive gift just sort of sits in the corner and gathers dust. And if you've ever bought kids toys, you know eventually they get put into a toy box and the lid is closed and they're forgotten. And today we are looking at the most extravagant gift ever given to you. And today we're looking at this extravagant gift and what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with this gift? And to do this, we're going to go to the book of Romans. And the book of Romans is written by a guy called the Apostle Paul. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit as Paul writes it. And we're going to turn to chapter 3. If you've got a device, you should open it up. You should follow along. But before we get to chapter 3 and verse 21, where we'll start, I just sort of need to lay the context for you. Because you need to know the context of where we're at. You need to see the situation that all of us me, you, all of humanity, find themselves in. You see, the verses preceding what we're going to read today, sort of, it's like, I suppose you could say, sort of like a courtroom. It's like a courtroom, like God is laying out a legal argument against humanity. And like, I've never been to court, like I never have, but I've sort of seen a bit of courtroom TV and I kind of like it sort of like the drama and sort of like this electric atmosphere. And the person who's sitting in the dock, the charges are read out against them. Craig McGregor is sitting in the dock. You insert your name there. You're sitting in the dock. Let me read to you the charges against us. This is just some of them, by the way. I want you to hear it like you're sitting in the dock. They won't be on the big screen. Hear the words and the power of God's scriptures. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written... There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin, misery mark their ways. And the way of peace, they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. This is sort of one of those moments where the mic drops and there's this awkward, uncomfortable silence. 
Because when we hear words like that, like a cat, our hair on our back sort of bristles and we go, I don't think you're talking about me, Craig, <laughs> because that doesn't sound like me because I'm a really good person. Like seriously, I'm a good person, Craig. Like surely God doesn't think that about me. And we do think this, it's a, it's a bit like school. If we sort of look at our own lives, we like school today, I'm not saying this is not getting at teachers, but like today, like a lot of kids mark their own work. And you're sort of like, if you're marking your own work, you give yourself a good grade. Sort of like, oh, okay, it's probably not an A plus, but uh, you know, I'm a solid A. And we sort of think about that in our lives. You don't think so? Go to a funeral sometime. Listen to a eulogy, any funeral. You will think they're the most saintly person ever. And there are some very saintly people, don't get me wrong, but you listen to a funeral. Oh, he was such a great family guy. Oh, she just loved her kids. She did everything for him. Just worked so hard in the community, always thinking of others. And, and the thing is, the thing is, you'll hear comments like, they're looking down upon us now. St. Peter's at the pearly gates with arms open wide. I mean, basically, it's a bit like Oprah. Everyone goes to heaven. You go to heaven. You go to heaven. I mean, if a funeral's to judge by, everybody goes to heaven, except for probably Hitler. He probably wouldn't get in. But everyone else, you're in. And this is, this is basically what religion, all religion except Christianity, teaches. Just do good works. Just be a good person. Just do religious ceremony or religious obligation. And on the monopoly board of life, when you die, you'll pass go, you'll collect $200 and you'll go to heaven or paradise or nirvana. You get to choose, by the way. And I sort of wonder if that's exactly how God sees all our good works. All these good things we think we can do to earn our way to get to God. Let's see what the prophet says, Isaiah. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. What you're offering up to God is you think are good works to get yourself in the good graces of God to get to heaven is a spoiled, filthy, greasy, dirty, yucky rag. And actually, in the original Hebrew, it is a lot more graphic than that. But this doesn't stop people trying to get to God on their own merits. People would do anything to get to God except for the way to get to God through his son. For instance, religious ceremony, religious duty. People sort of think, all I've got to do is keep the rules. I, I know, I'll read this book more. And that's a good thing to do. Don't get me wrong. But I'll just read this more. That'll, that'll make God happy with me. Plenty of people, plenty of people, monasteries, convents, Bible seminaries have been created. And as Robin said the other week, a lot of Bible seminaries have become Bible cemeteries. Plenty of people know these words of God, but don't know the God of these words. That doesn't stop us trying basically boils down, I'll just try and keep some rules. That'll make God happy, okay? The odd speeding ticket, he'll be okay with that. Apart from that, I'll just try and keep some rules. And God does have rules. Here's a list of them. 
God thinks they're important too. He actually, with his own finger, engraved them into stone tablets and gave them to Moses. Let me just give you a quick spattering. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't murder. Don't abuse God's name. Don't get jealous. Now, when we see those rules, at a glance we sort of go, actually, <laughs> I think I'm doing all right on those rules. I, actually, if that's, the, if that's the standard, well, I'm doing all right. Like Craig, you know, I don't lie. Yes, you do. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> we just sort of say those little things just sort of to, to alter the truth slightly. And you sort of go, well, Craig, you know, seriously, like I... I, I, I've never murdered anyone. I, I've never cheated on my spouse. You know, God's going to be good with that. Jesus will come along and define this a little bit clearer. If you've ever hated someone, you've murdered them. If you've ever looked lustfully at another woman or another man, someone who's not your spouse, you've committed adultery. Abusing God's name, the most common acronym in the English language, it's a three-letter one starting with the letter O. I'm not going to say the other two letters. But that can slip out. And in fact, we hear it so often in our culture, we don't even register it. We stand before a holy God. We've sung about his holiness today. Like this. As a lying, cheating, stealing, murdering, blaspheming, jealous, because we want other people's stuff, and I know you like these shoes. <laughs> Individual before a holy God. The hammer comes down guilty as charged. Actually, it gets worse than that. If you keep on reading this letter to the Roman church, there is a penalty for this guilt. The penalty that you pay, your payment, your wage for sin is death. Eternal separation from God. In the words of one of the greatest space movies ever, Apollo 13, Houston, we have a problem. And it's a terminal problem. Now, that is one side of the coin. I wanted to show you the situation you're in because enough of the bad news, enough of this, because now everything, everything is going to change. Here is the beauty of God's great gift to you. Let me read. But now, a righteousness of God, apart from the law, Righteousness means just to be made right with God. But now a righteousness of God, from God, apart from the Lord, has been made known to which the law and the prophets, they testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. 
let me just sort of like put it really clearly. I sort of hope you sort of caught the very first part of that. There, there is a righteousness, getting right with God, there is a way. But here's the big point. Here's the very big point. This way is through Christ. It is what God does. It is not your work. It is God's work. That is a huge point to note. Huge. It's what God does to save you. And it says there's something really interesting. It says there that the law and the prophets, they bear witness to this. They testify to this. That just simply means this, that God didn't suddenly think to himself after he gave the law to Moses, oh, man, nobody's good at keeping these rules. I need a second plan. I need plan B. What could I do? No. God's plan has always been to send Jesus Christ to save us from sin. And I want to read to you his plan In perfect crystal clarity, it is shown in one of the books of the Bible that is actually the least read part of all of the Bible. And I've got you interested now because I know it's the least read part of the Bible because I've been doing church for over 50 years and I've only ever heard one sermon from this book, so now I know I've got your interest. So this plan is shown as God deals with his Jewish people. Because the Jewish people had to make an atonement or they had to make a covering for their sin and they had to bring an offering to God for their sin. Let me read to you from Leviticus. Here we go. The Lord called to Moses and he spoke to him from the tent of the meeting. That's where God dwelt, the tabernacle. And he said, speak to the Israelites and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he's to offer a male without defect. He must present it at the entrance to the tent of the meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. He is to lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him. He is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on all sides at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. Now, I know some of you are thinking, I can see why this is the least read part because (laughs) that is just like... What? But here's the first thing. An offering has to be made, and it is a male ram or goat or bull, and it is basically the choicest member of the flock or the herd. You can't use some sort of three-legged, fly-strike-ridden, mangy with facial eczema as well, and go, yeah, this will do, get rid of this one. No, no. It is the pride and joy of the flock. And it is innocent. And we can sort of understand this because a ram or a goat is innocent. A ram doesn't sort of think to itself as it's lying in the paddock, hmm, Gary's got more grass over there. I'm going to go and steal Gary's grass. No, a a ram or a goat is innocent. 
the person making the offering is the guilty party. They're making an offering to God with the animal for their sin. Now, did you notice it was taken to the front of the tent? It's very public. You see, the point is that Jesus is the innocent, spotless, blemish-free Lamb of God. And when he was on the cross, it was a public execution. And then the interesting thing happens. The person lays their hands on the head of the animal. This here is to represent that you are weighing down on the animal's head your sin. Your sin is being transferred from the guilty to the innocent. And this is where it gets personal. You might have noticed this. The person making the offering slaughters the animal. Let me put it really clearly. Our sin is transferred to Jesus Christ on the cross. Our sin is transferred to Christ And it is our sin that kills the perfect Lamb of God. This is just a spectacular picture to show that God's plan has always been to send his son to die for our sin. And perhaps it's better said like this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's from the letter to the Corinthian church. So, let's read a bit more. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Now, just I really want to stop there. Just, I'm going to stop right there at that point. This is, <laughs> this is absolutely essential What God has done is he's given us the perfect sacrifice. His own son. There was this huge problem with sin and God deals with it himself. And it's available to all those who believe. Now what does believe mean? Believe is just not some mental assertion, some mental arithmetic in your head where you sort of go, okay, I mean I can believe in Jesus, sure. Who doesn't like Christmas and Easter? Like, yeah, okay, I can believe he lived. Fine. You could even say this. Okay, I can even accept I believed he lived and then he died. Okay, then he rose again. Let let me explain that. Satan believes that statement. The demons, the devil's angels, the powers of darkness all believe the statement that Jesus lived died for sin and rose again. That's not what believing means here. The word believe here in the original language is what we call in English the active participle. Now, got to be careful. I don't want to nerd you out by being the grammar police because I don't actually even know really what that means as well. But the active participle simply means this. A word like run becomes running. Jump would become jumping. The word is probably better translated believe to believing. In other words, believe in Jesus Christ is a continual active experience.
experience. Simple translation to this, you've got to submit yourself to the Lord because he is the Lord. Even simpler translation, Jesus is the boss of your life. But he's the best boss you can ever have. Like seriously, this boss loves you and cares for you and holds you and supports you and he'll lift you out of those dark places that we all seem to get in. This is Jesus, but he is the boss and when the boss tells us something to do, we do it. And you just don't walk off the job site if the conditions aren't to your standards. That's a really important point, by the way. There's something called the endurance of the saints. We walk and we keep on walking with Jesus, no matter the circumstances. That's really important, really important. So, what else does it say? This is actually the heart of the gospel, by the way. And then it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now this just puts an end to the notion, once and for all, that you can work your way to God on your own efforts. How can, how can I put it? I don't know. Let's say, let's say you, you reckon you can get to God, and all you've got to do to get to God, you've got to jump. You've just got to jump. Let's say you've got to jump from Foxton Beach. Foxton Beach is a good example. That's the world's greatest beach. We all agree on that. So you go down to the launching pad to God. Foxton Beach and all you've got to do is jump and you've just got to make one jump and land in Sydney, Australia most of you won't even get ankle deep in water you might be lucky to get knee deep that is how far we fall short of God's holy standards but here's the next part of the verse we are justified We are made right, in other words, freely by his grace. In other words, we are saved by God's goodness to us, his grace. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And what happens is that as you saw that animal picture, if you saw that animal picture, we push. Our sins are on Christ and he gives us a covering of his blood. We are covered in a pure white robe and so we are blemish-free, spotless before God because of what Christ has done. This is just the most extravagant gift ever. And I want to sort of explain it like this because like sometimes we don't really value we understand the value of what the gift costs. If you get a gift, if you get a gift, what does it cost you? Nothing. What does it cost the gift giver? Everything. Let me explain it like this picture here says debt. Because we all understand the concept of money. Everybody understands the concept of money. Let's say you want to borrow some money. I don't know, to buy a house. That's a good example. You've got to borrow $500,000. Like, that's not chump change, right? Like, that is some big money. And you sort of go, okay, well, you sort of work it out over 30 years, payments or whatever, 
and you're sort of like every fortnight you make your payment back to the bank and you know and you sort of think after a year man interest rates are high slugging our guts out man I must have paid off quite a bit so you think oh look up online you know probably haven't paid half of it but you know a lot of it will be gone and to your horror you see that you still owe $499,208 and you go oh man really like seriously and you think oh, I've got to get I've got to clear my head so you walk out you walk past the letterbox and there's a letter from the bank in the letterbox and you think oh this will be interest rate rises I'm going to struggle even more but you open the letter and you read it dear Mr McGregor this is your best friend the bank we love you Mr McGregor we love you so much we're going to pay off your mortgage. You owe us nothing. Love from your best friend, the bank. <laughs> and then there's this winky emoji, and you think, oh, it's a scam. But you turn the page, and you turn the page, and there's another page, and it's the title deed to your property. And where that mortgage was over your property, it's scrubbed out, and that winky emoji's there as well. And you'd sort of go, What? what, my debt's been paid, I'm, I'm debt free? I mean, you would tell everyone, now this analogy does break down because the bank doesn't love you at all, <laughs> they just want your money, but, but the point is, you can see the extravagance of God's love. You could never pay your debt back to God, ever, ever. This is how much he loves you. This is how much he loves you. Let's keep on reading. We're justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice through faith in his blood. This word redemption here is not really a word we use a lot in English. But the word redemption here, let me just sort of zero in on this. This has this image of somebody coming in and rescuing prisoners from a prisoner of war camp, breaking them free from the chains that held them down. That This word redemption has the image of being purchased from the vilest slave markets and freed. You see, this is what Christ has done. Christ has rescued us. Christ has bought us. Christ has paid for us. Christ has freed us. Christ has saved us. He has rescued us, ransomed us, and he has redeemed us by his blood. And this is the gift that he is offering every single person today to be put right with God. But it is only available to those who believe. That, that's the point. It's only effective, this gift, if you believe. So then the question becomes, what's your next step? Today you might be thinking, I, I need to get right with God. Your sin, my sin, it mounts to heaven. Only Jesus pays for it. And today you may need to take that very first step of faith. I'm going to pray soon. And if you want to 
pray this prayer, then you will take this first step of faith, repenting of your sin and giving your life to the Lord Jesus, and he will give you his righteous life. Or perhaps you've done this journey of faith for a while. Perhaps your next step isn't really the very first step, but you've been doing it for quite a while. But perhaps things have just sort of slidden a bit. Perhaps you need to reorientate, refocus, recommit yourself to the Lord. Perhaps it's a little bit like Bluey, just sitting in the corner, gathering dust, and some other cheap substitute has stolen your heart. When we say Jesus Christ is Lord, this means that he is number one. (laughs) Jesus does not play second fiddle to anything or anyone else, ever. That is vital to know that. So what's your next step going to be? You see, this gift here, which he offers you, this gift, let it fill you. Let it just indwell in you and let it start to bubble out out of you. And then when you have this gift and you know this gift, share this gift with others. Take this gift. It is the greatest gift. And tell everybody you know about it. This is the gospel. This is the good news. So what's your next step? I'm going to pray now and, you know, you might be watching online or in here and you sort of think, I need, to, I need to get right. I need to do it. I need to get right with God now. I need to recommit myself to God of being beguiled by some other cheap substitutes in life. Let's pray and give ourselves fully to the one who gave it all for us. Dear Lord Jesus, Today, I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin, Lord, and I turn towards you. Jesus Christ, today, come. Come into my life, and I follow you. Lord, today, I recommit myself to you. Lord, today, I get rid of those cheap, false substitutes which easily trap me. Today, Jesus, I give you my life. Amen. If you've prayed that for maybe the first time, drop us a line. Come and see us afterwards. The elders, the pastors, maybe the person you're with here today, we'd love to chat to you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or after this message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find everything you'll need to know on our website, crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you subscribe to this channel to keep up to date with new content. But thanks again, and we'll catch you soon.